0: I am Zach Petty's wife. That is my claimed fame (laughs) every day. Um, I'm also Kelly McAndrew's younger sister. Um, That's my other claimed fame. Um, So you'll hear me mention my sister a lot in my testimony. So she's who I am referring to. Um, And I think it's a sweet grace of God that he used my sister um, in saving me. Um, So I'm really honored to be able to tell you guys my testimony today. I've been pretty convicted in my preparation for this, just in my mindset, and what I mean by that is my, when Kelly asked me about speaking, my instinctual thought was like, wow, um, there are lots of other people that would, I feel like, be better suited to tell their testimony, and I was just thinking like, oh, I don't have like this quote-unquote wild testimony and like that I wasn't living like this life of craziness in the world standards, When God saved me, but this thinking is ultimately sinful because every testimony is beautiful in that um, just bringing the Lord glory by the fact that God's just raising a dead person to life in him, bestowing Christ's righteousness on a sinful person who, you know, in their heart hates God. So I just want the glory of the Lord to be magnified um, in any testimony that we hear Because it's just a work of God himself. It's nothing that we do. Um, So I'm thankful that I get to share of his faithfulness in my life with you guys. Um, So growing up, my parents were very faithful to take us to church. I was taught the gospel. Um, I prayed the sinner's prayer and asked Jesus to come into my heart Um, when I was six years old. And subsequently got baptized, but I was not actually saved at the time Um, my affections were not for the Lord. Um, I actually remember being very jealous of a friend that got baptized and I wanted to do that too. So my, um, motivations were quite skewed. Um, but so I became what you would call a nominal Christian or a Christian in name only. Um, and I was very good at playing the part. I, um, was kind and like had a sweet disposition and I was Good by the world standards, you know, I did well in school and didn't really get into any trouble. Um, but my primary motivation was fear of man and just a desire to be liked. Um, and I was relying on this good behavior to be right before the Lord. And I was just always at unease spiritually. I would pray that sinner's prayer and ask Jesus to my heart multiple times a day. Um, and so I was just looking to myself for salvation Um, so fast forward a couple of years, a few years, and my family moved when I was about 10 years old, and those changes really rocked me. It was kind of the first period of spiritual questioning. I started questioning the existence of God and the validity of the Bible, and I had lots of conversations with my parents, and I met with a couple of different pastors, and it did kind of ease the burden a little bit on, like, the surface, like I had um, kind of answers to why we can trust the Bible or like logical arguments to the existence of God. But the root of my doubt still lingered and I just kind of felt still uneasy as how I related to God. Um, now I just want to point out that at this point, I knew the correct answer was to say that Jesus died for my sins. Like I knew that in my head, but I was merely paying lip service at this point, um, my heart was not regenerate and I was still dead in my sin because, you know, I would go to church, but I was much more concerned with what grade I made on a test or making sure I made it to soccer practice um, than like the things of God or spending time with him. Um, So fast forward a few more years, my sister Kelly, went off to college when I was a freshman in high school, and she was saved, and then she came back to Athens her sophomore year to go to school here, um, so I started seeing her more as a Christian, um, and my family at this point had moved to Watkinsville, First Baptist, um, and this was kind of when things started to take a turn a little bit. Um, Kelly and her friends would lead my small group um, at different retreats and camps, and um, And so it would be like, Kelly and one of her friends, you know, at something. And I remember at one church camp, um, Kelly and the other leaders started asking us Great Exchange questions, which Kelly mentioned earlier. And if you're not familiar with the Great Exchange, it's an organization that partners with local churches, and they have these surveys um, that they go around to college campuses and to start spiritual conversations. And it's really cool. Um, And one of these questions is, On a scale of 1 to 10, how good are you? With 1 being evil and 10 being perfect. And I'm like sitting there, and we're at camp, and I remember writing down an 8. And I was like thinking laterally, like, you know, compared to other people, I haven't killed anyone, you know. like So um, I was relying on my own goodness and thinking, like, if anyone's going to go to heaven, like I would. um, And then I remember poignantly Kelly and her friend kind of started explaining how we're sinful inherently, and we have a holy and righteous and perfect God. So I was kind of start realizing, like, oh, that compared to this perfect and holy God, like, I cannot measure up. Like, what I'm doing are these filthy rags. And this was just the very beginning kind of crack um, in what I believe, that I cannot actually merit my salvation, um, that it wasn't like a compared-to-other-people game. Um, So really what Kelly and her friend were doing, we're highlighting that we need Christ's righteousness on our behalf. Um, And Paul articulates this so well in Ephesians 2. So I'm just reading a few verses, kind of jumping. Um, Paul writes... And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sense of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and whereby nature children have wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved." And like goes on, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Um, and he goes on, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Um, and again, I had heard these things, but, you know, the Holy Spirit hadn't opened my eyes to the, the truth, and this was just kind of the beginning of like, okay, like, I can't necessarily, like, merit this. Um, So I started to see that I wasn't as good as I thought, seeing the standard as God. Um, And the Lord graciously kind of started showing me what I actually worshipped, like school, like this term of an idol became more clear to me. If I made a bad grade on a test, it absolutely rocked my identity, or, like, the fact that I craved the approval of everyone around me Um, and like I said, I had been uneasy with my spiritual state in the past. Um, but this was the first time I was like, Oh man, like, am am I a Christian? Maybe I'm not a Christian. Um, but I didn't like to think about it really. Um, and Kelly saw this (laughs) and would try to, you know, encourage me to face my spiritual reality. And she talked to me in a way that, Only a sister can sometimes. And um, I remember a time I was outside on our parents' deck um, tanning. And (laughs) I Kelly came over to get something. And I don't even, we started talking. I don't know how we even got on the the subject. But the conversation ended with Kelly saying, like, if you go get in a car and you get in an accident and you die, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? And I was like... I don't want to talk about this right now, and just like stormed inside. And I know that Kelly would not endorse her tone, um, but she was talking to me like a sister. I mean, we're sisters, and um, she was asking me these questions that I needed to face, and she cared about my soul, my eternity, you know, things that I didn't want to think about. Um, And so that was like, all late high school. So I start, so you see this is a several year thing. <laughs> um, I started my freshman year of college, and I was attending the Sunday school class at Watkinsville where Mark was on the panel of speakers, and Kelly and I started kind of meeting more intentionally at Jittery Joe's, a local coffee shop. Um, so I was feasting on very good teaching at this point, um, and I just had these lingering questions, and that's why it's also s- sweet that like I felt comfortable at this point just asking Kelly, you know, these things that I was kind of scared to fess up to people. And I, um, these kind of pivot, pivotal theological concepts, I remember telling her, like, I I get that we're, like, sinful, but I don't feel like I'm that bad. Like, again, like, I don't feel like I'm that bad. Um, and I remember so poignantly her being like, it's not, you know, just, like, saying the lie. It's not just, you know, whatever, committing adultery. It's not just the act, but it's your thoughts. It's your motivations. Everything is tainted by this sin that we're born in. And it was like, the I was just like, oh, it's not just doing the deed, you know? And that sounds kind of elementary, but it's, I hadn't come to grasp with like that everything was tainted by it and how dirty our hearts really are. And so I remember that particularly. And I was also, you know, going to these college Sunday school classes, learning of the Lord's sovereignty and salvation, that he, you know, saves us. And I remember this so clearly. I asked Kelly, I was like, I just don't feel like it's fair. Like God saying, you go to heaven, you go to hell. Like, and I remember her saying, it's not that we're all up here and, you know, God's like, you get to go to heaven and you get to go to hell and you get to go to heaven. It's not like that. It's that we're all over here deserving eternal damnation. Like we're all in this camp and he mercilessly plucks some of us out to save us. You know, and that was, I remember a light bulb. I was like, oh, because it was finally kind of that the Lord was showing me like he is just and that sin must be punished, but he's also merciful in saving even one of us. And sorry, (laughs) I just was like, I, it was gracious that I was starting to see like, oh my goodness, he's so merciful, he's so loving, and I'm undeserving of this, and so um, that was, I, it's hard to know when any of this was going on, it was because it was several years, but that was around freshman year, and like throughout that freshman year, I was kind of still like grappling and wrestling, and I was learning about Reformed theology, and I remember I was just very overwhelmed with a lot of stuff going on in my head, and Mark and Kelly were married at this point, and I told Mark, And he was like, just go before the Lord and plead with him to open your eyes, you know, just like plead with him. So I was praying, and um, kind of this summer in between my freshman and sophomore year, I struggled. Sorry, my hair is hitting. um, I struggled with uh, some more kind of blatant sins, and the Lord kind of just brought me. Is that me? Okay, great. Um, (laughs) The Lord kind of just brought me really low. Um, to see, like, oh, I was just kind of like, okay, I can't do this. Like, I need a Savior. Um, and so in October of that year, Kelly and I were meeting and getting interviews, and she knew all that. I think all that was going on in my head, and we read the passage in Luke um, where Jesus tells, like, the thief on the cross beside him, like, today you will be with me in paradise. Um, and Kelly just point blank asked me, like, do you want that? Like, do you want that? And I was like, Yes, I mean, yes, I do. And it was just kind of this realization like something is different. And I don't think that this was the point that I was saved. Like, I don't think it was that day in Jittery Joe's. Um, I wish I knew the moment, you know, of justification and when, because I do think, you know, there is a moment when we are justified before the Lord and I can't pinpoint where that was in this process, but it was at some time. And this was the time I realized like, Something is different. You know, my desires have changed. Um, And it was clear that in Christ, things were different, and I wanted Jesus for Himself, not just to know about him, but actually to know him. Um, and I truly did hate my sin and want to put it to death. Um, and I saw school and man's approval and these things that I had just absolutely been worshiping for what they were as empty cisterns that could not satisfy. Um, and all of this was just a work of the spirit for regeneration. Um, and so it was, this several-year journey of the Lord softening me and then ultimately bringing me to himself. Um, I ended up being baptized as a believer here at North Ave. Um, and a sweet part of all of this is that after I became a believer, you know, and I start sharing with people what happened to me, um, I found out that a lot of people, like Haley Chronic and Haley Crane, um, sorry, God. I've been praying for like years and I didn't even know. And I think that that's sweet and encouraging to y'all. If you're like just praying for someone, you know, you don't know what the Lord's going to do or when he's going to save someone. So it's just sweet to know that there um, where people praying and get to rejoice with you when you become a believer. Um, and um, I'm very grateful to be in a church body like this with fellow believers that, just continually preach the truths of the gospel to one another and exemplify it and love one another and forgive Um, and um, just being sanctified with one another um, under good teaching from our elders who do not shy away from any part of scripture Um, and um, because belief does come from hearing the word of God. Um, And I'm just thankful that our elders preach directly from the text and remind us just that the gift that Christ is, um, and just praying that we would treasure Christ in the gospel, especially now in this Christmas season. Um, but yeah, so that is how the Lord saved me. Um, and thank you, um, that I got to share it with you all. So, yeah.
1: During the Black Friday sales this year, I saw a t-shirt online that read, ''Relax, everything is out of control.'' (laughs) We were traveling on the way home from visiting our parents for Thanksgiving, and I silently agreed to myself how that statement couldn't be truer. I am not one to love traveling, especially since Caroline has been born. I can quickly become overwhelmed with making sure that we packed every single thing we may need that everything in the car is accessible, and most importantly, that our now-toddler would nap exactly when I need her to for the amount of time that I think she needs to be asleep. While this can still be my temptation 22 months later, it has become somewhat easier as I have realized I cannot control the outcome of anything. As women, we can become pretty preoccupied with plans, And when they don't go as expected, we can feel like the rug has been taken out from under us. Changes in circumstances and unmet expectations can often blind us to what God is doing in and around us and cause our faith to falter. We want to be the God of our own lives. We can become obsessive and overly imaginative about all the details in our lives. And while we are doing this, we are forgetting who God is and what he has revealed to us in his word. Our culture today can quickly find a secular fix to anything that ails us and put a positive spin on it, as to mask that there's no way that we could actually be accountable for something that we struggle with. If a toddler has a tantrum in the living room, um, my Instagram feed or a quick Google search would tell me that they must need a snack, or a more popular term right now is they're looking for connection, whatever that means. (laughs) Um, If I'm in a frenzy and anxiously preparing for family Christmas, the world says it's because I'm too loving and caring. There's no way that all of this can come from my own sinful nature. We know better than to go to the world for answers about, say, creationism. But when it comes to matters of the self, that's a different story. Sometimes it's easier to look at secular psychology for answers to anxiety, when what we need is the word of God that is able and sufficient to help our souls. The Bible has much to say on this subject because it is a soul issue, and dare I say it, a sin issue. I think if Jerry Bridges were still with us today, he would add anxiety to his list of respectable sins. In fact, I believe anxiety can be a gateway sin that leads to a host of other sins, like impatience, anger, discontentment, wasting time, lack of self-discipline, and distrust in God. It can also reveal our idols and show us what we are wanting more than God himself. But the good news is that because anxiety is sin, through our repentance we can find grace in the arms of Christ. We can look to the one who bore our sins in his body on the tree, who was tempted as we are, yet without sin, who is the word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. In this word found in Matthew 6, a very popular anxiety passage, Jesus commands us, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In Martin Lloyd-Jones' book on spiritual depression, he writes that we need to know exactly where to draw the line between legitimate forethought and paralyzing forethought. Now it is right that we should think about the future, and it is a very, very foolish person who does not think about it at all. But what we are always warned against in scripture is about being worried about the future. It's not up to me to decide today if there will be enough grace for tomorrow because God has already said that there will be. If our cares or concerns end with ourselves rather than with God, that is sinful. We need to shift our focus from the results to asking ourselves, what would it look like for me to be faithful here and then go and do that? When we become anxious, we are focusing on the wrong God and need to turn to Christ. Anxiety at its root is unbelief. We're not taking God at his word and neglecting to put our faith into practice. Sometimes I think we can put on the cruise control of our spiritual lives and not even realize it. It can be easy to think we are trusting God when everything is going our way. But when there's uncertainty, that's a different story. I like to think as I have a regular day of my duties... Um, that my trust in God is strong, as I hum to myself, Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. But if I'm asked to drive to Atlanta spur of the moment, my mind is going to be worried about finding a parking spot the whole one and a half hours it takes to get there. But we can't just pick and choose what we will trust Him with. Just as our God has been faithful to us in the past, He will be in the future. In the same book I previously quoted, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones discusses how we can often think of faith as a thermostat, that when the heat outside gets turned up, our thermostats inside will automatically adjust. But that's not how the Christian life works. Faith is something that we have to actively engage. The book of Philippians reminds us to pray about everything. Can we say that we do that? Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything, These verses can often get broken up, but they are so full of hope when read as an entire idea. Prayer, thanksgiving, replacing our thoughts with the things above, and his peace. This was a formula written by the one who said he had learned the secret to being content. This is how we can put our faith into practice. We've been teaching Caroline how to count over the past few months. For a while, she's been counting one... Two, three, five, and we always have to remind her not to forget about number four. Numbers are only useful as we use them for what they are intended for. They have meaning, God-given meaning. Skipping from three to five doesn't give us a true reality. When cares and troubles start bubbling up in our hearts, we need to go to the word that has helped for our weary souls. Part of Christian maturity is learning to use the scriptures as intended. Just as numbers were designed for a purpose, so was the word. This is how we take up the shield of faith with which we can extinguish the flaming darts of the devil. This shield of faith helps us in our battle of unbelief. And just as, and just as learning how to count takes practice, so does putting our doctrine to use. We can ask God for something in prayer But when we've been neglecting to give him thanks, we can often find that that promised peace that passes all understanding is missing. Or if we pray and give thanks, but we continue to occupy our minds with matters too great for us, instead of thinking on whatever is lovely or commendable, we can continue to sit in our sin. When we take God at his word, he gives us a change in perspective. As Christians, we have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit Christ referred to when he told his disciples that it was better that he depart from them so that his spirit would come. Paul reminds Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. This Holy Spirit gives us the power to fight sin, even when our flesh is waging war. I've recently read a parenting book by Mary Beakey that, mentioned how you're often called to be patient during trying times, and this is important so that your parenting is more effective. She said something along the lines of, that if you yourself are not able to be patient, then pretend to be somebody who is patient for the next five minutes or so that are required of you. I have found this to be helpful in fighting all sin, remembering more importantly that I have the gift of the Holy Spirit. I am not my own, And if my strength or patience or kind attitude has already run out by 9 a.m., then it's a good thing that I can rely on someone else's strength to do what he has called me to do. As Elizabeth Elliot once said, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. The Holy Spirit is faithful to bring truth to our minds when we are in need. In Pilgrim's Progress, when Christian and pliable fell into this loud despond, the more they waved their arms and tried to get out on their own merit, the deeper they sank. But along came help, who pulled them out and asked them why they didn't just use the stairs, which were to represent the promises of God. I'm thankful to have the teaching of our elders here at North Avenue that continually remind us how we need to preach to ourselves rather than listen to ourselves. Puritan Thomas Watson once said, The flesh inclines us to believe a temptation more than a promise. When tempted towards anxious thoughts, we will do well to have some key promises in our pockets, like he will never leave us or forsake us. God is working all things together for good. He gives us everything we need for life and godliness. These are the stairs that can keep us from sinking deeper into this vow of despond. As Christians, we know that temptation can lie at any corner, that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. There are certain circumstances we know we will be tempted in, especially with the holidays just around the corner. But if we can do some thought replacement surgery and instead meditate on the promises of God, we have found our way of escape. We're called to take every thought captive, rather than... What if my sick baby wakes me up multiple times tonight? Or what if this work meeting goes south and puts me back in my progress? How about, how can I still glorify God if this happens? What would it look like for me to be faithful here? What if God is using this particular set of circumstances to let me experience his grace in a deeper way? What if God knows how much sleep I need tonight more than I do? What if through this trial I will learn to trust him more? What if God is working all these things together for my good and his glory? We have to remind ourselves of what we know to be true and then apply it to our divinely appointed circumstances. We serve a God who knows our frames, There are some of us who may carry a temperament more prone to anxiety that we will need to be weary of to fight the rest of our lives. Thankfully, the Christian life is not about success, but about faithfulness. We get to trust the results of all details to the one who remained faithful unto death, to a heavenly Father who has every hair on our heads numbered, who knows the end from the beginning. He is good and does good. Jesus is in the boat with us, even as the waves crash around. He has given us his word to draw near to in times of trouble, his Holy Spirit as a comforter, prayer as a means of grace, and fellow believers who can help speak truth into our lives and remind us of what kingdom we are a part of, even when the waves of doubt blow through. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Psalm ninety four nineteen. We can believe this intellectually even when our emotions have not yet caught up. Sometimes we do need that t-shirt reminder to relax and trust God because everything is out of our control. I'll close with a quote from Jeremiah Burroughs in his book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. When you are at sea, though you have not as many things as you have at home, you are not troubled at it. You are contented. Why? Because you are at sea. You are not troubled when storms arise, as though many things are otherwise than you would have them at home. You are still quieted with the fact that you are at sea. When sailors are at sea, they do not care what clothes they have. They think of when they come home. Then they shall have their fine stockings and and suits and lace bands and such things, and shall be very fine. So they are contented while away, with the thought that it shall be different when they come home. Thus it should be with us in this world. For the truth is, we are all in this world but as seafaring men, tossed up and down on the waves of the sea of this world. And our haven is heaven. Here we are traveling. And our home is a distant home in another world. Let us pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word that is true. Thank you so much that you are good and you do good. And you are constantly working all things together for our good. Even even when we feel anxious. Even when circumstances can say otherwise. God, help us. Cling to the rock that is higher than I than our, in our times of need, and continue to bring your truth to our minds when we desperately need it, Lord. Thank you for this time of Advent we have, that we get to celebrate the birth of your Son, and um, thank you so much for the gift he is to us, and the grace that we can find in your arms. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.